We believe that God breathed these words. Matthew recorded them just as the Lord wanted him to record them. And so as we read this, just know that we're hearing the very words of God. And so follow with me as I read Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 25. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them, and are you not of much more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to the span of his life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I tell you that even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow. Tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. This is the word of the Lord. You know, there's, there's more clothes today, there's more food today, and there's more anxiety today. Isn't it interesting that we read this passage when in the first world there was so much, so much concern for will we have our daily bread, and now we have bread for days, and this is maybe the most timely message that we could hear. Pray with me. Father, would you open our eyes to your word? Would you help us to, uh, would you help us to just receive these words? no matter how hard, no matter how impossible they may seem. Lord, nothing is impossible with you. And so, Lord, whether we're very close to you or whether we have yet to make this relationship with you our own, Lord, would you meet us tonight and help us to take that next step in knowing and following you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I had dinner with an old friend just, just last night. And he and I sat and we talked about our lives. We talked about our wives. He talked about, um, he talked about Aaron, his wife. I talked about Heather. He talked about his kids. Um, some of you know him. You went, to, uh, you went to Peru with us a couple of years ago. It's Pepe Akat, my, uh, my friend from, from Lima. Um, and then, then we began to discuss. You know, it had been over a year since we've seen each other. Um, and I took him to a super fancy restaurant, Longhorn. And, uh, and so we, uh, we sat down, and after we'd kind of gotten through the formalities, I said, hey, let me, let me ask you about the kind of the dark place that you have been in. And I asked him how he was doing with his anxiety, because he's, he's really dealt with a lot of anxiety. And, and he said, I'm doing so much better. I've been taking medicine now for several months. It's really helped. And so I started to tell him about tonight and about this passage that we just read and, and what we were going we to look at. And I asked him how he reconciled this passage with his struggle 
Because so often um, a Christian will read this passage and they'll say, well, if I'm a good Christian, I'll just never deal with worry or anxiety. And, uh, and so he, he pretty quickly, um, we were on, I don't know, we ordered like all the food. You know, we, we pretended like we were not at Longhorn. We were like, we'll take a salad now, please. <laughs> yes, we'll look at the dessert menu. Like we were just, we just kept on going. But he said, he said, you know, I don't think what I am dealing with is the same thing as what this passage is talking about. And so I pressed him on his anxiety that he has dealt with versus the command. And if you, if you look in Matthew, uh, if you look in Matthew chapter six, you know, verse, uh, verse 25 right here, I mean, this is a command. Do not be anxious. I mean, that is a, that is a, a, a statement that Jesus made that like you can't really dance around. It is a command to not be anxious. And so I, I said, well, how do you reconcile your, your anxiety with this command to not be anxious? And he said, look, I don't, I don't think it's the same thing. He said, uh, he went on to say, you know, I grew up during the shining path. And so there's your, there's your like late night Google if you want to look up the shining path. He said, uh, he said I grew up during the shining path, which, which was guerrilla warfare from the Communist Party when they were trying to take over Peru. And, uh, and it lasted for a really long time. Uh, he, he was actually once over at my parents' house. Um, we, were, we, were, we had him over for a few days, and he went up and he visited them. And, uh, and they had this outside fireplace patio um, gazebo uh, area. And so he, we were sitting out there by the fire. And they, you know the oil lamps, like think Cracker Barrel. The oil lamps, like the globe with like the metal base that you put the oil in with the, the little knob that you move the wick up and down. You have to trim the wick. Anyway, they have a few of those as decorative pieces above the mantle on this outside fireplace. And he said, oh, I know how to use those. And I said, how do you know how to use that? And he said, oh, well, during The Shining, uh, I would have to light those at night so that we could see because the communists would cut the power. And so uh, I was thinking, I said, how, well, how old were you when that was happening? And he was like, you know, six or seven. And then he would say, you know, we had to go and, and we had to go find food. And I said, what do you mean find food? He would say, well, we would go out at night. The kids would go out at night and we would steal food so that we could feed our families. And, uh, <clears throat> and then he went on to say that one day, he and the little boys that he played with in the neighborhood, a few houses down during the night, there was a young man who was trying to, to make his self known that he was worthy to be in this shining movement. And so he murdered his family with a machete in their house during the night. And the little boys, including Pepe in the neighborhood, saw the bodies coming out the next morning. And so you fast forward a bunch of years and he's getting ready for his first U.S. mission team to come down. They're going to do a mission trip and he's the leader. He's the local Peruvian leader and he's going through all the logistics and, you know, who's vegan and who's not and how do you feed them and all the things that Americans bring with them when they travel. And, uh, and so he's going through all that and his body seizes up and he didn't know what was wrong. And so his friend takes him to a doctor and the doctor does an examination and the doctor says, you're fine. And then, and then after, after that, his friend, a very loving, kind friend said, let me take you to a different doctor. And he was, he was psychologically evaluated. And what, what the doctor quickly identified in him was, man, you've had incredible trauma that you have bottled up for survival 
all these years, and for whatever reason, in this moment of stress, getting ready for this mission team to come down, it has come out. And as we talked, Pepe simply said, Thomas, I wasn't anxious because I was afraid God was withholding something from me, so I was trying to get what I want and build my own kingdom. He said, that's what Jesus is talking about in Matthew 6, 25 through 34. He said, I was anxious because of all the trauma in my life that I had never dealt with. And so he, he and I, uh, when, when I finally saw him after the pandemic, um, I could tell he was, he was kind of a shell of the guy that I had seen before the pandemic because for two years in Lima, he had to live, he and his wife Aaron with their two kids had to live in this tiny, tiny um, condo, t- tiny for our standards. Um, and uh, they lived in this tiny little condo. And by law, they basically had to stay in the condo, very little outside exposure for two years. And so when I finally saw him after, after that was over, like he wouldn't take his mask off. He wore it all the time. He was just a shell of a guy. And he told me that for those two years, it basically, after those two years, all that anxiety welled up again. And yet he was holding on deeply to his faith. His trust in God never wavered. But the chemicals in his body just couldn't level out. So he went back on some medication for the last several months, and and he's doing great. But just know that in this, his, his faith never wavered. And I think that's why it's so wise that he said, Thomas, the passage that you're gonna teach tomorrow night, tonight, is about, am I afraid that God is going to withhold something from me so I'm gonna build my own kingdom? Or do I trust the Lord? And he said, that's not the same anxiety that I dealt with. And you know what? If I'd heard that story four years ago, I would have said, you're, you're just not godly enough. You don't, you don't really get it. But in the, in the late spring of 2020, I'll never forget, I was sitting, maybe early fall, I was sitting in the chair in my house, and, uh, and I, was, I was about to take a nap, and I don't remember what day it was, probably Monday, 2 p.m., just kidding. Um, like, and we all worked from home, you know. Um, no, it was like, I don't know what day. It was probably a Friday or something. I'm off on Fridays. And so I was sitting in this chair, and I began to take a nap, and I woke up, and I was pretty sure that I was dying. I couldn't catch my breath. My chest was tightening up. I couldn't figure out what was going on. I was having a heart attack. And you know what? There was physically zero wrong with me. And I realized after I came out of that that I was perfectly fine and that I had just had a panic attack. My job had changed. I was overseeing about 60 different employees at the church, which also had a school. I was trying to run a college ministry. We were trying to reorganize the church and get them meeting back on Sundays. Um, A friend of mine was in a bad climbing accident that summer when it was just he and I out in the Pacific Northwest in the mountains. I really thought I had fared all of these little hurdles, challenges, the pandemic, all these things. I thought I had, had, had handled them well. I was having my quiet time. I loved the Lord. I was praying. I loved my wife. I was like, Things were on the outside looking really good, but apparently something deep inside of me was kind of breaking. I began to pray things like Psalm 139, 
which Will taught on the ski trip. Such a great, great message he gave on this passage. But I begin to pray, verses 23 and 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there be any grievous way in me. Lead me in the way everlasting. I knew this passage. I knew Matthew 6, 25 through 34. I knew not to be anxious about my life, about food, about clothing, not building my own kingdom. And I couldn't figure out what is going on with me. In our teaching meeting when we discussed this passage, Jordan Coughlin mentioned a great book um, by a guy named Curtis Chang. It's called The Anxiety Opportunity. And in that book, he talks about how our biology is an indicator of our psychology and our spirituality. And he says that anxiety is rooted in loss, in losses that we experience, and, and, and manifest in physical anxiety. But in Jesus... There is the realization that everything we have lost in this world will be gained back in the kingdom to come. He goes on to say that anxiety is instructive, but it's not determinative. And so this is such a complex issue when Jesus says, don't be anxious. And yet there are faithful believers that have anxiety attacks, that have chemicals that are out of balance in their brain. And if this hasn't been you, count yourself blessed. Count yourself fortunate. But I can guarantee you everyone in here has some anxiety about them or will in a very short period of time. So I think you have to ask the question, so is anxiety a sin? I think it depends on what kind of anxiety you're talking about. The short answer is yes. If it's happening like Jesus describes in, in this passage, then yes, anxiety is a sin. If it happens like what Pepe described, if it happens like what I described with those panic attacks, I would say it's probably not a sin. However, no matter what, anxiety is no excuse for sin. You know, um, Matthew Walker, I don't know if you know Matthew. Matthew is one of our church members. He's a young adult. Um, he's a small group leader. Uh, he's, he's a great guy. I called him, and we talked for probably 40 minutes. I looked at my phone, actually. It wasn't probably. It was like 41 and 35 seconds. Um, but we talked for a while about this because Matthew not only is a great church member, Matthew is a Christian who is a psychiatrist. That, that is a unicorn, friends. That's just, that is a true unicorn. And so... And he would tell you, like, he was like the only Christian in his graduating class, those kinds of things. So I asked Matthew, I said, Matthew, let's talk about this passage. Don't be, don't be anxious about your life. Trust that God will feed you. Trust that God will clothe you. Don't be anxious. What do you, what do you think? Is, can you pray anxiety away? I just went ahead and asked him. I said, can you pray it away? And he said, well, let's, let's first talk about Let's talk about sometimes anxiety is actually God-given. And I was like, what are you talking This is where, this is because psychiatry is voodoo. Like, what do you mean? And he's like, well, if you have a thyroid condition, if you have a cardiac condition, it will manifest itself sometimes in anxiety so that you know there's something bad going on inside. I was like, oh, I didn't, I didn't know. Okay, never mind. Tell me more, doc. <clears throat> And, and, 
and then I was talking to Heather about this, and Heather is an asthmatic. She takes asthma medication every day, and she said, if you read the fine print on her medication, it will tell you this can cause anxiety. And so Matthew, uh, when it came to can you pray it away, he said, maybe, but maybe not. And he said, you, you should be careful if you feel like you're a maybe not, and you go, to, you go to the doctor and they put you on a management plan, you've gotta be careful what they prescribe you, what they offer you. Um, just a side note, with Heather's asthma, one time she had the flu, which when you have asthma, you get anything like that in your respiratory system, and they, they like really ramp it up so that you're not in the hospital. The doctor said, you've got aches and pains, I'll prescribe you Vicodin. She was like, okay, that'll go in the trash. Um, like, that's like pretty serious for the flu. Um, so you've gotta be careful. Like, where you go and what, what kind, what kind of, uh, of treatment you get. In fact, Matthew, this is a side note, and this is like a little bit more of like a, like a talk right now than a sermon because we're not going through it verse by verse, but you'll be fine. You'll be fine. Um, and so, because normally I do go like every word verse by verse, but I think this is such a sensitive topic and I think it's so complex. I think this is the best way for us to get into this passage. And so, he, Matthew offered, he said, hey, I'm moving. I won't be at Young Adults tomorrow night, but I, I, would, I offer my services if people need to know, do I see a Christian counselor about this? Do I see a psychologist about this? Do I see a psychiatrist? He said, I'm happy to help people figure out where they need to go if they feel like they've got an anxiety that's debilitating. And so, you know, he said, some people have general, generalized anxiety disorders and they need to be placed on medication to balance out the chemicals in their brain. It is, a, it is a major issue. And I wonder if it's even more of an issue now because of all the things in our food, all the things in our environment, all the things in our water, all those things, than it was even during Jesus' time. And so I think that this is, this is just fascinating because we live in a time of so much excess we have more food than we can eat. We have more clothes than we can wear. Uh, I mean, there was not a goodwill in the first century. And we're always giving stuff away and getting more. We have so much, and yet we're more stressed and more anxious than we've ever been. And so I asked Matthew again about another common thing that I hear people talk about, intrusive thoughts. I said, Matthew, tell me about intrusive thoughts. I hear Christians use that term some. And he said, well, intrusive thoughts are actually a clinical idea that technically they're ideas that come into people's minds that they don't want them to happen. They don't want the thought to come in and, and they're debilitating. But he also said something interesting. He said, often intrusive thoughts are morally neutral. I need to check the door again. I need to check the door again. I need to check the door again. I need to clean even though I just cleaned. I need to... Um, you know, I, I need to uh, count again and again and again. And so he said, he said, you know, these typically these are are pretty clinical and they're pretty easy to identify. He said, but sometimes people call intrusive thoughts just bad thoughts that normal people have. And he said, you know, like lustful thoughts, violent thoughts, think road rage, um, materialistic thoughts, thoughts that are not debilitating. And he and I agree. If you're a Christian and you have those kinds of thoughts that can make you very anxious, if you have the Holy Spirit in you because you are a believer, you have the power in those thoughts 
to walk in freedom. You have the power of the Lord to be free in those moments. Those are not the same kinds of thoughts that someone with clinical OCD might have. And so then we got into this idea of, okay, so one practical thing for Christians when dealing with anxiety is, what are you feeding? Like, are you feeding the monsters? Or are you feeding the spirit? You know, Christianity is all dependent on the work of Jesus. And yet the New Testament, the Bible as a whole, doesn't give Christians permission to just do whatever they want. There is a responsibility put on us, even though the full weight of glory rests on Jesus. Once we are his, there is a responsibility to walk with him. And so one way that we fight anxiety is what we feed. You know, if you're if you're playing the comparison game all day on Instagram and TikTok and, and you're comparing your body image, you're comparing dating, you're comparing possessions, you're, comparing, you're looking at sexually arousing material, then you know what? You will be anxious. I promise you, you will, you will face anxiety. And so you have to ask, like, what are your rhythms of grace? Are you turning the phone off half an hour before you go to bed? Are you, are you pursuing the Lord when you wake up in the morning? Are you trying to have Christian conversations that edify and lift up with other brothers and sisters in Christ? I mean, Philippians 4, 4 through 9, some of the, my, my most favorite verses, especially when it comes to the power of God and the power of our thoughts. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand, verse six of Philippians four. Do not be anxious, there it is. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, everything you would be anxious about, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And then I love how Paul, through the inspiration of the Spirit, wraps this up. He says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Why? Because the Lord is offering us permission to be free from anxiety. And part of the way we're free of anxiety is following him through prayer and what we put into our minds. There is, there's so much sin-induced anxiety. And I just said some anxiety is not sin-induced, and I'll show you in a minute how it's not, but some is definitely sin-induced. Think about the young adult, some of you who want to climb the ladder and it's not happening fast enough, so you cut the knees out from coworkers and you become an angry workaholic. You will be anxious. Think about the young adult who, who fears being alone, not married, not able to have sexual pleasure, and so because you're, you're not going to get married, and so what do you do? You become immoral and you act out. I promise you, you will invite anxiety into your life. And so here, here's what I want to do to help clarify, to help make this passage come to life and maybe separate what Pepe went through and that panic attack I had from what Jesus is talking about and the freedom that he offers with this anxiety that we invite into our lives. And so when you look at this word, this word anxious, it's such an interesting word. This is like the, this, this is the heart of this whole text. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious. Do you know what? 
If I said, write down on a piece of paper the, the definition for the word anxious and pass it in, pass it to the center of your aisles, because that's what we do in church, the center of your aisles. And so like, and then we went through and got them. I bet I would have 50 different definitions of anxiety. But words mean something. So let me show you from the original language what this word actually means. It means simply to be, I'll just use an old symbol. It means to be divided or distracted. So with that being said, let me reread this passage to you. Therefore, I tell you, don't be distracted about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. And are you not more valuable than they? And which of you? by being distracted, by being divided, can add a single hour to your life. And, and why are you distracted about clothing? I mean, could that be like any more relevant? I mean, some of you spent more time getting ready than you did like anticipating hearing from God because that's just the world we live in. And why are you distracted about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I tell you that even Solomon in all of his glory, ooh, that was almost a mistake. Sorry. We're a little mom and pop sometimes. <laughs> yet I tell you that even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these, but if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive, tomorrow is thrown in the oven, will he not much more clothe you? O oh, you of little faith. Therefore, do not be distracted saying, what do we eat, or what do we drink, or what do we wear? The Gentiles seek after all these things. And your heavenly Father, we've seen this the whole chapter 6. Everything Jesus says in chapter 6, your Father sees in secret. He rewards in secret. Your heavenly Father knows that you need these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. And then he adds this one little line at the end of this whole little section. And some people say that it was a line of humor in the first century. And I think if you read it right, it is a little bit of humor. I think Jesus, after he finished saying that, knew that he had like laid something real heavy out. And so then he says, hey, don't be distracted about tomorrow. Tomorrow will be distracting enough. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. He's laying out there. He's like, hey, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow's got a lot of things to worry about. We'll worry about them when we get there. Like, hey, don't worry about it. So each day is going to have enough trouble of its own. And that's like the first century joke that clearly stayed in the first century. All right, that's fine. So here's, here's what, here's what I, I want. I, I want you to realize that like when you become distracted, you can't serve God and the thing. And that's how he ends verse 24. You can't serve God and money. This is a continuation of that thought. When you become distracted, you, you can't serve God in the thing. The thing will win. I remember a friend of mine, vividly, who, who for a long time was this celibate, he was a celibate man with same-sex attraction who was trying to follow God with all that he had. And he became distracted. And he had this big fear that God would withhold from him intimate friendships. And that's what he really longed for. And so he left the faith 
to go be with another man and enter into a homosexual lifestyle because he was distracted. And he said, you know what? I can't serve both. And I fear that God won't let me have what I want, which is intimate relationships, so I'm just gonna go find it on my own. And fear is typically based on what might not happen or might happen. Satan loves to get us distracted through fear. And I love it, and John Vogt in our, uh, in our teaching meeting brought up this great quote from, from uh, the Screwtape Letters about how, how the enemy works to create fear in you about something that may or may not happen and get you distracted and ultimately get you to walk away from God. Who knows that you need all the things? Who promises to provide for what you need? And here's the quote from, that, that, from, from C.S. Lewis's great work, The Screwtape Letter. He says, our business is to get them away from the eternal and from the present. With this in view, we sometimes tempt a human, say a widow or a scholar, to live in the past. But this is of limited value, for they have some real knowledge of the past, and it has a determinate nature, and to that extent, resembles eternity. It is far better to make them live in the future. Biological necessity makes all their passions point in that direction already, so that thought about the future inflames hopes and fear. Also, it is unknown to them, so that in making them think about it, we make them think of unrealities. In a word, the future is, of all things, the least like eternity. It is the most completely temporal part of time, for the past is frozen and no longer flows. The present is all lit up with eternal rays. Hence, nearly all vices, listen to this, nearly all vices are rooted in the future. Gratitude looks to the past, love to the present, to the present, fear, avarice, lust, and ambition look ahead. So here's, here's where I think that this anxiety that we battle comes from. You see, when you're, when you're young, what you have is, you have is innocence. And so this, this innocence is, is an incredible thing. What a gift. But then something happens and you experience some sort of trauma. Either you experience it or you see it, some sort of trauma. And what does trauma do? Trauma breeds fear. And so what happens to fear when it gets out of control? Fear, when it gets out of control, becomes anxious thoughts. It becomes anxiety. And this is where Jesus is telling us to be, to be free from. He's telling us to be free from anxiety. And so here's the, here's the catch. We can't, we can't go back and, and regain our innocence. It's lost. We can't go back and we can't remove the trauma it's already happened. Whether you invited it in or whether it just happened and you saw it, either way, the innocence and the trauma are, are in the past. We can't go back and get them. We don't want anxiety to happen. Jesus says to avoid anxiety, it's a command. And so what do we have to do? We have to attack the fear. And I think, here's what I think, the best thing for you to do is to start thinking right now, What do you fear? What is it that you're so afraid of? There's got to be something. 
If you have any anxiousness about you, there has got to be something that is holding you back, some fear, and it comes from some sort of trauma when you lost your innocence, and it's gotten this fear, and if you're not careful, it's gonna turn into anxiety, or it already has turned into anxiety. So as we're thinking for the rest of this night, can you name that fear? Can you name it? And if you can name it, I promise you there's hope. If you can name that fear, then we put up this hedge between that fear and anxiety, and the thing that's between that hedge or between anxiety and, and what that fear is, is God. And so what we're going to do is we're going we're to have that thing go tackle God, and we're going to see what happens, and I bet that the Lord can defeat it. I bet it'll bounce off of him. And you won't be ruled by fear and you won't be ruled by anxiety. But to do this, you've got to take this to the character of God and just a few verses about the character of the God that you are going to take this thing to that you're so afraid of that may or may not even happen because it's probably in the future. Hebrews 6.19, we have this as the sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. We have a sure and steadfast anchor of the, of the soul, which is Jesus, the hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. And you know what? What do we long for? We long for surety. We long for confidence. And that's why we grab and claw at things to try to make them our own so that we can have some sort of stability and confidence. And Jesus said, don't worry about clothes. Don't worry about food. Don't worry about the essentials. I'll take care of those. That's not where your surety lies. That's what the pagans do. That's what the Gentiles do. You're different. Psalm 42, 11, I love this. Why are you cast down, oh my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Look, the, the psalmist is asking, what do I fear? What is it? Name it. Why am I so downcast? Why, am I, why do I have so much turmoil? What is it? What's the thing? Was it King David hunting him down? Was it that his dream of being king would never be realized? What was it, David, in Psalm 42? And then he says to himself, hope in God, not the thing. Don't feed the monster, feed the spirit. Hope in God, I shall praise him again, my salvation and my God. Psalm 70, 71, one through three. In you, O Lord, do I take refuge. Never let me be put to shame, not in the thing, not in the fear, not in the clawing, but in God do I take refuge. Never let me be put to shame. In your righteousness, deliver me and rescue me. Incline your ear to me. Save me. Be my rock of refuge. Not the, not the trauma, not the fear, not the anxiety. Those things are not a rock of refuge. Those things are a sinking ship. Be my rock of refuge to which I may continually come. Do you see that in the psalm? This is not a one and done. This is like we are constantly going to the Lord and we're saying, I'm afraid of this. I'm afraid of that. I'm afraid this might happen. I'm concerned about this. I'm getting anxious about so and such and such. Will I have a job? Will I be able to retire? Will I be able to provide for them? Will I, and on and on and on. This is, this is the, a constant thing and it's always been a constant thing that, to, which, to which I may continually come. You've given me the command, you've given the command to save me. You are my rock and my fortress. I, 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 I like, this is a total, I, I, do, I probably should take ADD 
medication. Like I really should. It would save so much time in sermons. You would get home so much earlier. But I did write this in my notes, and so I'm just gonna say it. I was watching a climbing video, like rock climbing, like fear of falling, because I like to climb, but I'm always afraid of falling. And I was watching this, and the guy started talking, and I was like, holy smokes, he could like be a guest preacher for Matthew chapter six. Like this is so relevant for what we're talking about here, for anxiety. And he said anxiety is likely not something that you're born with, but instead it's something that you learned. He said, for instance, being uh, a fear of being alone isn't necessarily because you are alone, but because you saw someone else who was alone. The same goes for being poor or childless. These create traumatic events, and they allow our brain to learn to be afraid. And then anxiousness of these moments potentially happening kicks in. And so as soon as I sense danger, Part of my brain kicks in, stress hormones are released, like adrenaline, and a little bit of this is good. Like if you've seen a car wreck, your brain has learned that's bad. And so if someone slams on their brakes in front of you, you, your heart starts to race, adrenaline is released, and your foot goes to the big pedal, like really hard. And so it's, it's a good thing, it's a good mechanism that you have, but the problem is the brain is like really fickle. And it will lie to you so often. And it'll program this into the spiritual part of your life. And so preoccupied is actually the definition of anxiety. It's divided. Your brain has left reality, and it begins to make predictions about what might happen in the future. But it doesn't end there. This often leads to counterfactual thinking. I wish I'd have studied for that sermon three weeks ago instead of last night. I don't know who wrote that. I wish I'd have, I, I wish I'd have married so-and-so. I don't mean that. I'm just saying some people think that. I wish I'd have taken that job. When we think like this, though, this counterfactual thinking, we're in a bad spot, and that's what anxiety does when fear gets out of control. And that's why Jesus is, is commanding us, don't be anxious. Don't be anxious. Just because we've seen things to be afraid of, we've sensed it might happen to us, our brain releases chemicals, fight or flight, then I move into counterfactual thinking, those things happen, and you know what? What happens is that Jesus says it at the end of this passage. He says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. What happens when those things happen and we get out of control and we live in this ancient world is that all I'm doing, my whole existence, is not seek first his kingdom, but protect my little kingdom. That's all I'm after is protecting my little kingdom. And we start to realize when I've gone down that road and my thoughts have gotten out of control and I'm not holding them up to the rock, the anchor of my hope, I can agree with Jeremiah when he says in 17, 9, and 10 that the heart is wicked and deceitful above all else because the mind doesn't know the difference between real and perceived danger. And this is why Paul encourages us in 2 Corinthians 10, 5 to take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. Otherwise, what we have in common with this passage is that we're like the Gentiles, the pagans. There's no difference between us and the rest of the world. We're all just kind of clawing, looking for our own brand of security. 
And the anecdote to all of this is faith. The anecdote to all of this anxiety is faith in the unchanging character of God and the confidence we have in him. You see, this this is an invitation to freedom. This is not to limit what you might could accomplish in life or get for yourself. This is an invitation for you to be free. Imagine when everybody's talking about how much they worry in almost a braggadocious way, and your response in a very humble way is, man, I I used to do that a lot. And the reason you don't anymore is because you know the one who holds the stars. And your hope is in him, the great provider. Look, when you're starting to live this out, You will be tested. And people who don't mean to try to invoke anxiety upon you, they'll say things like, are you married yet? And if you're married, they'll say, you have kids yet? Or they'll say, did you hear about so-and-so and and their promotion? Amazing. Did you hear about their car, their house, their boyfriend, their girlfriend, all these things, and you're just trying to like not worry. But you know what? As you begin to live this out by faith in the Lord who provides all that we need and we instead are not divided but seeking first his kingdom, here's an interesting little thing that happens. It's a byproduct of trusting in the Lord and his plan and who he is. You actually can be happy for other people. If you've wondered why you couldn't be happy for other people, I promise you, you have anxiety in a sinful form. You're trying to build your kingdom and theirs is getting bigger than yours. And by the way, one of my friends, one of my toughest friends, my toughest friend was here last week. He runs 100 mile races. My next toughest friend, um, I have a few tough friends, but Courtney, with a name like Courtney, it had to be tough. Um, (laughs) Courtney, Courtney said one day, he's like, he always drops like these little one-liners. And he said, you know, most of the things we fear never happen. It's usually something else that gets us. <laughs> I'm like, he's right. Like most of, the thing we, most of the time we fear stuff that doesn't happen anyway. So I, I want you to know though that this passage is not a prosperity gospel. This is not trust in God and he'll give you everything you ever wanted. It says in here that he, he, he clothes the flowers and he feeds the birds but we've all seen a bird hit a windshield and not come back. That's kind of graphic. (laughs) It wasn't that graphic when I practiced it. (laughs) We've also seen drought. And we've seen flowers die because of drought. So you can't read this and say, oh, well, everything's gonna work out perfect for me, just like I had hoped. But the beauty of following the Lord, and we used this verse last week, Psalm 37, 4, the beauty of following the Lord is that it, the more you follow the Lord, the more you don't want it to work out like you used to want it to work out. The more you follow the Lord, the more you delight in him. He gives you these new desires. And you start to be able to say with Job, God, not only are you good, but I trust your wisdom when the path doesn't make sense. And so I want you to, we're, we're going to go into worship and we're going to sing some songs. I think that would be very, very helpful if you could name your fear. 
Take the mask off of it and call it what it is. What is it that when Jesus says, don't be anxious, and here he's talking about the basic necessities of life, and most of us have the basic necessities of life, and yet we're still anxious. Can you name what that fear is? Where there used to be, on, uh, there used to be innocence, and yet some trauma has exposed this, and then it turned into fear, and that's led to you being distracted and, and, and really struggling with seeking first his kingdom versus your kingdom. But I promise you, whatever you fear, no matter, no matter how big it is, it is able to be defeated gloriously by the one who died on our behalf and then rose again, who has deposited in all of his children the same spirit that breathed life into him and took him out of the grave. I don't know if you know this about the cross. Because it's not, I don't think it's taught very often, but we, we typically say that on the cross, Jesus took our sins and then he died and took our punishment, which is all true. There is, there's atonement in the cross. There's propitiation in the cross. There's justification in the cross. But did you know the Bible actually teaches that he took more than our sins to the cross? In, in Isaiah chapter 40, I'm sorry, in Isaiah chapter 53, verse 4, it says, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. When we sing about the gospel and the hope we have in Christ, one of the things that we have to hope in is that that fear, that anxiety that you have, he took it to the cross with him. No matter how silly it may sound when you put a name to it or how monstrous it may sound when you put a name to it, he bore our sins, he bore our griefs, and he bore our sorrows on that cross. What an amazing God we have. So when we refuse and we say, no, I want to be anxious, we're trying to pull something off the cross that he took with him, a burden he never wanted us to carry. Pray with me. Father, you are so good to us. It's so good that you took our sins and our sorrows and you carried them to the cross. And so, Lord, would you help us now to be able to name to you as we sing those fears, those anxieties that we have. And Lord, may we be able to cast them on you because you care for us. May we trust that you took those sorrows to the cross so that we could truly be free from that sin-induced anxiety that so many of us carry. It's in Jesus' name I pray, Lord. Amen. Amen.